Hello, Millennium Live listeners. Welcome back to another great episode of the Millennium Live podcast. I'm Connor Tui, and I'm just so happy to be doing another podcast with one of our great members and looking forward to celebrating 250 episodes, which we're pretty close. We'll be getting there next year in 2024. We're up to 230 episodes since we started the podcast in 2018 with some just remarkable guests and another one joining the podcast today. We have Dina Lamarck Piquan. She is the Chief Marketing Officer at Xerox, which is a position she was appointed to back in 2021, where she leads all aspects of global marketing, enabling go-to-market teams to generate revenue and build awareness and demand for Xerox, its offerings and new business. Before that, she served as Senior Vice President and General Manager of Xerox Latin America Operations and has extensive P&L ownership and go-to-market experience. Prior to Xerox, Dina was with Tech Data Corporation for 19 years, and most recently serving as Vice President and General Manager of Latin America and Caribbean. Dina is a member of the advisory board of Tech for America, Miami-Dade County, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educational equity and excellence. She was awarded the Florida Diversity Council Glass Ceiling Award in 2016, was selected as a CRN Women of the Channel honoree in 2017, was named to Diversity First's Top 50 Women in Tech 2021, and top 100 CMOs in 2022. Dina is engaged actively in her community and is passionate about supporting children's cancer research and diversity and inclusion in technology. Two major points that we're going to get to cover in this podcast. She's a dynamic blogger, which you can check out at imdina.com, where she created her own personally branded platform to share those tips and tricks on personal and professional growth. An amazing leader, true inspiration, a game changer, one of the greatest examples of executive leadership. And she's here today on the Millennium Live podcast. Dina, welcome to the podcast. It's so awesome to be able to talk to you today and have you here. Thank you so much, Connor. It's such an honor to be here. Congrats on 250 episodes. That's a big accomplishment and achievement. And I'm really happy to be here with you and your listeners. Of course. Diving in to the podcast, I want to get started by knowing your start and your early life. I know you you grew up in New York. I'm wearing my Mets hat because you knew I got your start in Queens and you grew <laughs> up in, in Long Island. So walk us through what life was like for you back then, growing up in New York, perhaps what your parents did and stressing education in your early life and perhaps those years leading up to right before you go off to college. Yeah, absolutely. So I am first generation born in the US. My parents left Haiti under the Duvalier dictatorship. And so actually both sets of grandparents left Haiti, moved to Queens, New York. There was a huge Haitian population there fleeing the um, political uh, environment that was unfortunate in Haiti at the time. And my parents met at high school, you know, in public high school in, in Queens and through parties and, and friends and um, ended up getting married and starting their life in New York. And I had the pleasure of being there first here, firstborn. And so education for them was, you know, paramount. It was one of the main reasons they left Haiti and decided to move to the U.S. was to have opportunities that weren't available to them there. So 
We started in Queens. I was born, lived in Elmhurst. Then they moved out to Glen Cove. I did my elementary school in Glen Cove in Nassau County. And then we ended up moving to Dix Hills in Suffolk County because it's one of the best public school districts in Long Island. And so my, my parents were really active in terms of following, you know, public school ratings, went to public school my whole life. My dad was an accountant. My mom was a lab tech at New York Blood Center. So she went through the whole HIV crisis and learning how to test for AIDS. She's helped cancer patients. So I had the combination of kind of the medical field and accounting and business. And with most immigrant parents, they wanted me to either be a doctor or a lawyer. And very young on, I chose the lawyer route only only to change my mind as I got further into my studies. Where in Queens did you grow up? Did you live briefly? I lived in Elmhurst, actually, Elmhurst. And my grandparents lived there, you know, for many, many years until only a few years ago when, when uh, now my, all my grandparents are deceased. But one set moved back to Haiti after things got a little bit better and retired there. And the other set lived in Elmhurst until they passed. So I grew up in Flushing, know Elmhurst very well, ended up going to State University of New York, SUNY New Paltz. And I know you went to Vassar, which so I know Vassar College. Tell me a little bit about your time at Vassar getting your, your BA and I'm pretty sure it was political science and government, right? Yeah, Taking it was actually political around. science and women's studies. Vassar was uh, one of the the first women's colleges and, and still was a, a very historic and, and predominantly female college when I went. I majored in political science, minored in women's studies because I thought I was on the law track. That was still my plan at that time. You know, an interesting story there that I, I always tell people is you have to be really confident and your parents have to be really engaged and, and confident and back you up. Because I remember my high school guidance counselor, when I showed him the list of schools, colleges I was going to apply to, he thought that a lot of them were out of reach for me and, and said, you know, I think you need some more safety schools on your list. I ended up getting into all the schools on my list, which probably means I didn't reach far enough, quite honestly. Uh, yes. You know, you, they always tell you to you have a reach, target, and safety. And, and so, you know, I was lucky enough that my parents were like, don't listen, do what you got to do. Don't worry. Even if we don't know how to pay for it, we'll figure it out. You know, you apply everywhere you want to apply. Was there a light bulb moment then that you realized what you potentially wanted to do? You didn't want to take the lawyer route. You end up at Georgetown for your master's. What led you to the route that you took to, to start your career? It's really interesting. So thought I was going to be a lawyer, took time off, took a skip year in between college and grad school and worked with lawyers and also did some NGO work. I got a fellowship in Western Africa in Guinea, working with an NGO there. So I had done some semester abroad in undergrad in Namibia, studying women in development, doing a lot of women's microfinance. And then I used my gap year to kind of figure it out. I worked with lawyers, which was a great experience, but I decided it wasn't for me. I was very much engaged into the not-for-profit route, but I had student loans to pay back. And so it wasn't going to be the most lucrative route for, or accelerated route for me to pay back the student loans. So I decided to go to Georgetown thinking, you know, I could combine possibly a career in diplomacy with some private sector experience and international business. 
but I wasn't quite sure until the light bulb moment was when I met the former CEO of Tech Data. He went to Georgetown. He came back on an alumni panel and he gave a really interesting panel. At the time, it's, you know, the year 2000, I'm graduating. He's the CEO of a distributor, a technology distributor, when everything we're learning is about cutting out the middleman, going direct, being more efficient in, you know, the sales motion. He was very pro-education. He had a management training program that he promoted on the panel. And I spoke to him afterwards and he invited me down to Tech Data in Florida to check out his management training program and see if he couldn't convince me to uh, to join his company. And it, it seemed to work. So you spent 19 years there. I did. I did. It did work. It was um, It was great. I went down to Clearwater, Florida, which is where the the headquarters were. At the time, Clearwater Tampa was more of a retirement community than a young community. So, you know, I, I asked him if he had any other offices and he offered up the Miami office, which was the, the Latin America kind of epicenter. Miami is the unofficial capital of Latin America, even though it's, it doesn't geographically sit in Latin America, it is uh, the capital of business. And so I went and got my start there. It was an awesome program. I did about 18 months of rotating throughout the business. I got to learn product marketing, sales, business development, operations, HR, finance with an executive sponsor and really learn the ins and outs of company, right? Like what, you know, what kind of PL metrics, what are the levers you can use to improve revenue or performance, profitability? And it was great. And I was hooked and ended up growing my career there with some management roles in operations and product marketing and marketing eventually took on sales and then full P&O ownership there as well. And that's awesome. After spending 19 years and, and of course, gradually uh, gaining more and more responsibilities and, and moving up that chain in terms of your role there, when do you know it's time to leave? You know, you can get very comfortable at an organization, especially after spending many years there, 19, for example, there was something you did right after you graduated. You started a family during that time. You grew as a person and professionally. When did you decide? When did you make that decision to leave there? I'm sure any company would have loved to have you at that point, but particularly Xerox. Being in a role for that long also tends to taking on a new challenge might be even too much. You might want to back off. How important is it to take that leap of faith and take on that new challenge that you may not want but need and perhaps take on a new role and step out of that comfort zone of yours and, and do something new? For me, it was imperative. Even though I was so comfortable, it was the second family to me. You know, like you said, I grew up there. I got married there. I had kids there. I went through challenging life experiences, like my son being diagnosed with leukemia while I was working there. And the people were there for me. You know, these people became friends and, and, and family. It was very hard because I was happy and I was comfortable and I was growing. But I knew, you know, that inner voice that starts to, to tell you things. I always, I've learned to listen to that inner voice. And, and my own inner voice was telling me, if I don't make a change by the time I get to 20 years, I'm never going to make a change, right? Like how much harder will it be after 20 years to make a change? And so, you know, I started that process of really thinking through, am I ready to leave? What kind of experiences am I looking for in the next opportunity? And I started going through that 
kind of mental process and also branding myself and making sure I was visible on platforms like LinkedIn. And, and even before I had the chance to go out and proactively look, a recruiter called me one day and, um, and said she had an interesting opportunity for me. It ended up being for Xerox, which was interesting. It wasn't necessarily where I thought I'd go next. But once I met the leadership team here and understood the mission about truly repositioning and transforming this company, it was just super attractive as an opportunity to be part of that. I just want to talk about some of the great work that you're doing in your community, which is outstanding, just being such a a big advocate for for children's cancer awareness. And as you mentioned, your son, that has got to be one of the biggest out of the blue curveballs anybody could experience, especially a parent. Take us through that moment. I mean, getting diagnosed before he was even three years old. It was. I mean, it's one of those moments that that haunts me forever. And I was actually at work when I got the call. So my son was sick, had a fever, high fever. Little kids get high fevers all the time. But there was something not right about his fever. Like he didn't have cold or flu symptoms uh, that accompanied it. And he was getting sensitive to the touch. After a couple of days, the fever was hard to control. So, you know, again, I trusted my gut, brought him to the pediatrician. She thankfully was very thorough and decided, to draw blood work, but I had to wait for the results of the blood work. And so I went back to work because there was an important meeting and, you know, I dropped him at home. We had a, a nanny at the time that was helping out. And the doctor called me and said, I need you to come back to the office right now. And I was like, listen, I'm a big girl. Tell me what's going on. I just need to know. I'll come to your office and sit with you, but I want to know what's going on. And she said, he either has a virus that's suppressing his immune system or he has cancer. Either way, you need to go to the hospital right now. I'll never forget. I was at my assistant's cubicle and I lit like my stomach, you know, it, I felt something I'd never felt before. I couldn't even speak. I had to have her call my husband to tell him to meet me at home. We went to Nicholas Children's Hospital. We were admitted that night, didn't get out for three weeks, actually. That one day turned into three weeks, and he was diagnosed by the oncologist, treated, and, you know, the fever was under control and, and a lot of other things. But it ended up being an ear infection, but his immune system was so compromised that that ear infection went septic because of how sensitive he was to that. That started a three-year process of of treatment, but Niklas was so good to us. And the doctors really treated us with respect and care and concern. They were available to us. I grilled the doctor. I remember before I decided to let him treat my son. I mean, I was like, you're younger than me. You know, I researched where you went to school. How am I going to trust my kid's life in your hands? Convince me. And, and he did. He convinced me. And I was like, I need your cell phone. If you're going to be treating my child, I need your cell phone number. I need you to know I, I need to be able to call you whenever I need you. And he was like, sure. And I still talk to him today. And most of the time we're exchanging restaurant recommendations and fun stuff like that. But my son had his checkup yesterday, annual checkup. We always do it in November to actually remind ourselves to be grateful for the little things at this time of Thanksgiving, because it's easy to get busy and, and sidetracked and forget little things like health and how much they mean to people. But during the course of our treatment, we saw a lot of people who weren't as lucky as us. 
maybe didn't have as easy a diagnosis. I don't want to say my son's diagnosis was easy in any way, but leukemia is, has a protocol that works. And, and if you catch it early enough and you follow the protocol, you know, the survival rate is really high. Not, not everyone we met at the hospital had that same, you know, diagnosis. We met families that lost their children, which is something I can't even imagine. We also met families that had financial hardships. And, you know, I had I had insurance through a great employer like Tech Data, and I never had to worry about that side of it. We always decided that we would be actively engaged with Nick Claus Children's Foundation to be able to help people who weren't as fortunate as we were. And it's been really rewarding and, and great for all of us to be part of that. And there were times I considered not working, but I had to keep working for a couple of reasons. One was, I think I would have hovered over my son so much that I would have driven him crazy and, and myself crazy in the process. When he was doing well, I was working. And when he wasn't doing well, I wasn't working, right? So I used, I used the tools available to me. Um, you can take intermittent family leave. You don't have to take family leave all at once. And also, my husband's an entrepreneur. I had better health insurance than he did. And we made the decision early on, if anybody was going to have to take a backseat at any point, it would be him and not me. He didn't have to, and I didn't have to, and we were able to manage through. But again, we know not everybody is that fortunate. Yeah, right. That's quite the story. And I'm so happy to hear the checkup went well. It's so important. And what you do in the community is so important because raising awareness is necessary for that continued growth of reaching that 100% getting cured. I believe he's 16 now. He's 16. Yeah, he's 16. You have two kids. You have a, a girl as well, right? He has a sister. I do. I, so Mateo's 16, Maya's 14. They're really funny, hysterical kids, actually. <laughs> um, what are their interests? Where do you see them? They must be doing uh, fantastic uh, having uh, you as a, as a mother. But are you uh, involved with where they want to go in life? Have they talked to you about being uh, what you do and, and have any interest about uh, going into business? Or are they... Uh, wanting to do something else and do something on their own. Yeah. First of all, they're really good kids. And that's been our focus is making sure we're raising kind, thoughtful, responsible people in society. And they really are. They're, they're great. And they're also fun to be around, especially at this age. I think my son will have he has interest in, in business. We actually went through and did my first kind of like quiz with him and created a profile in College Vine and what kind of colleges he's looking for and what he'd like to do. And he's in 10th grade. So, you know, next year he'll start taking his exams and thinking about where he wants to apply. Right now he's saying he wants to go to NYU and, uh, right and we'll see. He has a, a lot of studying and, and extracurricular work to do to, to be able to get in there based <laughs> on the simulation right now. But uh, he's up for the challenge. My daughter watches me work a lot. I work from home when I'm not traveling. And she says she does not want a job like mine at all. She's a very <laughs> avid and passionate soccer player. So she's very active all the time. So she like she loves soccer. She aspires to be a professional soccer player. She plays at a very competitive level. I travel with her a lot. So it's my second job on the weekends is uh, traveling around for soccer. And she also is very interested in criminal justice. All the shows that are like about crime labs and crime scenes and things like that. So it's an interesting duo I have. That's awesome. Congratulations. 
I want to talk a little bit about leadership and what that means for you. I recently had an, an interview with Dennis Malay. He's just recently retired as the first ever chief supply chain officer at Macy's. It's kind of fascinating to pick his brain a little bit about leadership in, in your position, how you've been able to move into positions and become a CMO of a major a major brand. We'll we'll talk a little bit about this, the role of a CMO and what that means, but what is the definition of a good leader in your opinion, Dina? So for me, leadership has a lot to do with your ability to put the right players in the right positions at the right time and remove obstacles out of their way, create a unified vision and allow them to do what they do best, right? It's about assembling people, trusting them to do what they're good at, making sure you have a balance, right? So that you're not bringing on carbon copies of yourself, but really bringing on people that complement your strengths and weaknesses well, and, and getting out of their way and getting roadblocks out of their way to allow them to perform. I think my son's experience made me a better person and a better leader you know, very early on in my leadership journey, because it allowed me to be empathetic and authentic in a way that I don't think I would have been. I don't think I would have developed into that kind of a leader if I didn't go through things like that while I was growing in my leadership journey. My philosophy is always about creating that high performance team, fostering a culture that allows them to do what they're the greatest at, and then helping them, right? Giving them guidance, getting the roadblocks out of the way, giving them a, a, a unified vision, helping them learn from things I've done in the past so that we can streamline and, and work faster. Giving them the tools to succeed and having yeah. them make their own decisions. And, and uh, one of the great things too about being a leader is always learning. Executive education plays such a role. And that's kind of what we like to do at Millennium and, and bringing executives together to be able to network and learn from each other. And I know you attended a Millennium Alliance event and you'll be joining us again. And you're able to host a workshop with us, um, uh, reimagining legacy brands. About the role of the CMO and how you are reimagining legacy brands, you need to walk us through a little bit about that, but also how important it is to have these events and assemblies, if you will, getting together with other executives that are even from different industries, but getting to know where, where everyone sort of is coming from and, and building those relationships together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I came out of the the Millennium event, actually a team chat with my leaders, my senior leadership team. And I came out saying, we need to get our people out there more. This was so you know valuable for me, not only to be able to network, but to hear other people's stories, to meet vendors that are doing creative things in, in our space. You know, we haven't fully recovered and gotten into our groove post-COVID in terms of being out at external events yet. And, and I think this was the big reminder for me that we need to invest in ourselves and make sure that we're meeting people that are going through similar challenges and, and journeys as us at these kinds of events. So it was a great event. And I shared my story in one workshop, but I sat in tons of workshops where I also learned and, and then talked with people. And I'm still connecting with people I met at that event, actually, uh, via Teams and Zoom for meetings and, and going through our experiences. Because what Xerox is going through, you know, we're repositioning our brand 
But there's tons of other companies in other industries, especially financial services, that were really interested and had the same challenges and were trying to do the same things as us. That's awesome. And actually, we just we just had the CMO of Cisco, Carrie Palin, is going to be joining us in for that next marketing event. I would love to have her on the podcast as well. Dina, I saw some of your uh, book recommendations, and I just so happened to come across a book that I recently read because I'm just I'm trying to get back into reading. I read a lot in college, you know, the last six, seven years of maybe of haven't read as much as I've wanted to. I just read Becoming by Michelle Obama, which I thought was oh. awesome. I love that it talked a lot about just being a mom and her role there. So someone like Michelle Obama, who took her role, made it her own and really took autonomy and an authority in as being first lady. I think this is a loaded question, but what is what is we'll start with this. What does somebody like Michelle Obama mean to you and some of the influences that perhaps have inspired you throughout your life and your career? On a side note, the importance of reading and gaining knowledge, because I feel like more people need to read and and I did. And I feel like I'm becoming a better person because of it. Absolutely. I love reading. And I had told my husband, we shouldn't have a television in our bedroom. And I won for many years. And then he eventually broke me down and we do, but sometimes he'll be watching television with a headset on and I'll be reading, but he loves podcasts. So podcasts are another way, you know, for people who don't actually like to physically read podcasts or audiobooks are also a great way to digest information. But it's just so important for me, you know, Michelle Obama, Indra Nui, these are women who are fierce and accomplished, but also lead with grace and humility and a little bit of fun too. They don't take themselves too seriously all the time, which I think is also really important. I get so much out of out of reading, especially autobiographies of people like that who've inspired me. You know, Indra Nui, when I read her book earlier on, she talked and joked a lot about being a working mom and not being able to be there for the breakfast in the classroom at like nine o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday, right? That only people who are not working can go to and how you kind of manage that with your kids. And Michelle, I think, brought a whole nother aspect to her role which was being a mom, but also championing so many different things, nutrition, education, things that are really important to us as, as a country and as, as a community. And then also showing her own personal style, right? Her, you know, being into fitness and fashion and, and not taking herself so seriously that she couldn't show a little bit of her own personality and her role. I miss those days. <laughs> so... <laughs> Looking a little bit towards the future, Dina, you know, you've had such illustrious career, but you're so successful. What advice do you have for the next generation of leaders, the students that are coming out of college and getting perhaps their first jobs? Eventually, you know, they'll, they'll be 5, 10, 15, 20 years in to working professionally. The world is constantly changing. Who knows what it's going to look like in 10 years, 20 years? What advice do you have for, for people out there who, who want to take ownership of their work, who have dreams of becoming that CEO, becoming that CMO, and what are the key steps in order to get there? You know, part of it is taking control of your own destiny, defining what you want, what your roadmap is to get there, what kind of networking you need to do to understand even where you want to go and how you'll get there. Because when you're young and early on in your career, sometimes it's as simple as asking people for an informational interview. 
to understand what they do, how they got to where they got, any advice that they have. And people love giving that time to people early on in their career, a lot more than maybe you think when you're early on in your career. So take advantage, never underestimate the power of a conversation, right? So always be on your game and and be prepared. And I think you have to be a subject matter expert in whatever it is you're trying to do. But you also have to have a certain amount of EQ. People want to work with and for people that they admire, that they respect, that they have fun with, that they can collaborate with. You know, I think it's always about balancing that kind of growing professionally through continued subject matter expertise versus, you know, also developing your soft skills and your EQ. If you're in marketing in particular, I think there's a couple things that are really important or if you're interested in marketing in particular. One is don't forget about the customer, especially in B2B marketing. Sometimes we have this tendency to, to think at an elevated level. At the end of the day, it's a buyer. It's a person buying something from you for a company. And so don't forget about that customer and how they want to buy and, and want to be sold to. And the other is invest in understanding data and analytics because the role of the CMO is more and more, and anybody in marketing is more and more shifting towards enabling growth, you know, enabling business. And you have to be able to measure your effectiveness and pivot your dollars to be able to go where that's most effective. I do want to talk a little bit about the future for you and perhaps talk a little bit about the future uh, and some of the cool work that's being done at Xerox. That's a company that's been around for almost, you know, for forever and has been a, a leader in, 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 in technology. First, but what are the, some of the cool things that um, we should expect to see over on the Xerox side? And, and additionally, some of the work that potentially that you want to get into uh, later in your career. Sure. Xerox is, you know, like you said, it's, you know, over 115 year old iconic company, right? It's, it's one of those brands that's so well known that it became synonymous with, you know, the use of a verb to do something, which was one of the products that it invented early on, right? That changed the workplace. But now we're reinventing ourselves to evolve with the changes in the workplace, right? Hybrid work is here to stay. Distributed workforces are more stressed than ever. They don't have all of the technology to make them as productive at work as they once were when they were in the office all the time. And so that's where we've challenged ourselves to really understand our customers and evolve our products and offerings with the needs of our customers. So we have a lot more focus now on digital transformation services for clients. Clients not only in the enterprise or people think about Xerox serving the Fortune 500, right? Your Citibanks and your JP Morgans. And, but Xerox now also has solutions that are fit for small and medium businesses. You know, a law firm that wants to make sure that a lawyer can read sensitive information anywhere that he or she is and has automatic redaction. You know, a classroom teacher that has students and parents who don't speak English 
And so there's automatic translation through some of our suites and Workflow Central, for example, which is software that goes either with our hardware or as a standalone on its own. You know, we're evolving as a company, as the CMO and as a marketing organization. It's so much fun to be at the center of this reinvention and be able to help tell the story of what we're doing. One of the ways we did that this past year was launching a campaign. It was a new integrated brand and demand generation campaign that is really focused on making sure that one, people think about us differently and understand what we're doing differently, but two, kind of getting the word out about the offerings that people didn't know we had. And because we're extremely well-known in the 44 and over demographic, but not as well-known in the you know, 44 and under demographic, we really used some punchy copy and, and witty copy and, and bold tones and images to attract that next generation to get to know Xerox. So for me, that's, you know, that's what I'm focused on right now is really enabling this reinvention in partnership with the rest of, you know, our executives here. And in the future, I have two bucket list items that I, I want to hold myself to at some point in the future. One is to write a book because I love reading so much that I feel like it's the natural evolution. And two is to be on board. Today, I'm on non-for-profit boards, but I would like to do paid board service because I think there's a need for more diversity in the boardroom. And, and I'd love to be part of that initiative. 100%. You should. And book and board can't wait to to buy your book when it comes out so i'll be the first one to do so <laughs> dina this has been such a you fun might be the only one connor <laughs> <No>. <laughs> dina this has been such a great conversation it's it's awesome i could probably talk to you for another hour but um we have uh you know you're a very busy person and i want to respect that so um uh thank you so much for joining millennium live and and for being uh, such a great member of Millennium Alliance, participating in our assemblies, participating in the podcast and sharing your your knowledge with other executives and potential leaders of the future. I've learned so much from one Queens kid to a next. Thank you so much for participating. I can't wait to uh, to see where your career takes off because honestly, you're, you're still just getting started. Thank you so much, Connor. It's been such a pleasure.